Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Shop Stool podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. This is episode number 30. My name is Robin Lewis from RobinLewisMakes.com. I'm joined by Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks. Hello. And John Crawford from Periodic Furniture Studio. Hello. We live stream the recording on YouTube every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time or UTC plus 10, or you can watch or listen to it later on YouTube, iTunes, or SoundCloud. I want to say hello to everyone in the chat. We'll get to your comments and questions towards the end of the show, but feel free to chat amongst yourselves, the idea being that this is also a place for people to meet. So no real announcements this week, and it sounds like um, there's a lot of other stuff going on that we can get into. So, Joey, what have you been working on this week? Okay, um, just a couple of hours ago, released a video on that coffee table I've been harping on about. Mm. Um I like Interesting. It. I yeah. I like cool. I like the video because um, the first and the last part are very different from what I usually do. I so, noticed. That, I noticed that there was there was a tone to the video. Yeah. It was it was pretty cool. I thought this is almost like a real video after I finished it. <laughs> <clears throat> I just need to. If I had to put some music in it, maybe it'd look like a professional one. Um, yeah. So. Actually, it seems like a really easy format, and I think I could probably go forward doing similar things, explaining a bit more about the design of how I do things. Um, uh, I'll just let the video speak for itself, I suppose, unless you guys want to talk about any aspects of it. I only had one comment regarding the dovetail, because you yep. mentioned that you weren't totally sold on it, but you know, you, you still kind of liked it. I was thinking with that, it could look cool if you flipped it onto the top surface. So I made it like oh. a deeper dovetail. Like and then it's like a sliding dovetail kind of thing. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. And like yeah. that that would be the only thing that I yeah, would that have kind of suggested could change it from being on the heavy side. You could make it a bit lighter than yeah. more, more small. That, that's, yeah, yeah, I, I really like the video. For I, it, did not, I thought that dovetail proportionally spot on okay yep, i right. really like that yeah i just thought when i actually put the joint together for the first time i thought that's just it's very big i mean it is a big dovetail but oh, it is yeah, a feature it is. as well i suppose yeah um i wanted to ask you you got into the joinery and in the video you're sort of saying you know stuff looked like it wasn't going quite right and it wasn't you know and then you you cut to the end where you showed the joinery and it was like it was astronomically out, especially, you know, for like the quality yeah. of work that you do. Like, how did it, how did you get to that point and be like, okay, well now, now it's not good enough. Um, so the top rail, which just might as around where, where that dovetail ended up being. Um, I think what happened was the two pieces got swapped over somewhere in the mix of pieces on the table. And so the, the marks where I had to, to make the domino cuts um, were slightly different. And so mm -hmm. the alignment was out by a couple of mil. And I think that's what happened there. The The bottom part where the base had that compound mitre, I don't know what the hell happened. I, as far as I had a huge difficulty getting the, to the domino to sit and I, I could see my mark and it was on mm. such a weird, hard place to hold it. Um, I think it, I just moved the domino, and so the the dominoes just were not in the right place. Mm -hmm. 
because in the video you're sort of you're holding up that piece and you're like and I, I looked at the piece and I was like, oh, and you went, this one didn't turn out so bad. And it's like, oh, really? Like, yeah. you can immediately see it. Yeah. I think, yeah, no. Um, sorry, go, George. I was, I was just going to say that design would actually lend itself quite well to just using screws and then plugging it. Like, the dominoes yeah. are nice to keep it, you know, with joinery, not yeah. screws, but. Yeah, I, I mean, probably would do it out with screws because everything could be hidden really easy with that design. Yeah, God forbid you could put pocket holes in the bottom of it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so interesting. I mean, I think, and, and like at the start of the video, I had my, my other designs there, and, and I, I, there's some more other ideas along that line I think you'd easily go down. So um, it's, it's, an, it's an idea to use the glass as a structural member but integrated into the timber instead of just sitting on the top. I just mm. like that idea of playing around with cantilevered bits hanging out, you know, glass sticking out of wood. I think it looks cool. Mm. Um, and it's super modern, as, as you said in the, in the video. Like, it's a modern look. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, it's been pretty slow at the moment work-wise coming in. I'm really trying to kick people up the bum to go and – say yes to things and like i've just been quoting 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 and just dead quiet it's just been really weird and i think i probably said that for the last two weeks in a row but um that's just yeah i'm not sure if people just don't want uh well i don't know i don't know what it is um so i've been working for quite a while on getting these this job to do this big cedar gates for this guy um now, his neighbor also wants exactly the same gates. So, they're, and they're in cahoots to try and get a cheaper price if I make all four gates at once, which actually it will be slightly cheaper for somebody, one of them. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, put, put the wall back on them. Yeah, so it's a bit tricky to work out who gets the discount. But um, the, the problem to get this job, I have to, they, they want someone to project manage the rest of it and that is that means um getting the post the big concrete post dug poured and getting somebody to apply the fake stone veneer getting the gate automation guy sorted out um and kind of coordinating the whole lot which i can do i used to essentially do that back in my building days um it's just a heck of a lot of time me sitting emailing which, which i have been doing because i'd like to do the job um and it's just not that fun having to kind of do all this work. I'm going to probably have to spend at least one day pouring concrete on this job for these big mm. pillars. I just don't really want to do it, but it's just going to happen. And it's actually better that I do it. And I know everything's plumb. So when but I make you, the gate, you'll be paid for your time, won't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's all, I'm going to price it all out as a do parts of the job. Mm. But um, it's just, you know, kind of things you have to do to try and get the job you want to do. Um, mm. um, it's not really a major, it's just a lot of coordinating, which is just, ugh, can be frustrating when people just don't email you back. Um, and I'm guessing when you run a, a, a wood shop where you do everything and your assistant there is doing exactly what you tell her, yeah, to now yeah. be uh, playing coordinator must be pretty rough. Yeah, it's just a, just annoying um, but otherwise, yeah, that's that's about me. I've got some work on in the shop, but that will be a video at some point. Mm. 
Cool. Um, yeah, me has been really quiet as well. I'm just trying to get people to give me the go-ahead or just finalize designs. And uh, I've got one. This is the client which has the table, the stool, and the two stools and the bench seat. And they're just, I don't know, they're not difficult at all. They're like, they just know what they want. But I kind of quoted this job before we had a design locked in. Like they had two designs for possible tables. And one of them was like kind of like stance similar, uh, which Mm. has a fairly thin top. And the other one was a farmhouse style base. And I didn't really look too closely at the images. I just said, oh, that's going to be one less day of work. Thinking it would be the same amount of material, but the top on it is 50 mil thick, uh-huh. not not 30. Um, and and it's, it's finished. Yeah, well, um, anyway. that's what I've had that problem before, where someone said, "Oh, yeah, I want a 50 mil finished." And so you're like, "You mean I've got to buy 60 mil stock somewhere?" Yeah, and this <laughs> is what I've kind of explained to them, and and they're using the black butt I have on the shelf, and I've given them a huge discount, like uh. massive, because this is when I thought, "Well, I'm not going to have any work if I don't get this job." Yeah. Um. So I sent back the email after I sent through my first sketches, uh, and explained that look. This time, because it was my fault, I'm not going to do anything. Just be aware that if you come back to me in the future wanting furniture, not 50, 50 mil thick material is not just a little bit more expensive than 30 mil material. It's almost twice the price. So I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to worry about it this time. Just be aware that if you do come back, just because I don't want it to be that case where they come back expecting me to do yeah. something for nothing, um, which has been a bit of back and forth. But I think we finally have clear idea of what we're going to do. So I've just got to spend some time getting the models updated. Um, I also delivered that giant bookshelf and finally got a video out, which is nice. Yep. Uh, it was a bit rushed and it was a bit of shame. But uh, yeah, the, the product came out really nice. The client loves it. It's already full of books apparently. So yeah, it was interesting getting into position. It had to go down a flight of stairs, which was tight <laughs> oh, and heavy, but... It wasn't. It wasn't a wrapper. Way what that base it was, unit way? It was. Uh, ooh, uh, somewhere between uh, oof and a ooh, you know, a big curve. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not not quite a pop in the back, but yeah, not not quite a didn't quite bust your paper, but it was close. <laughs> uh, what else? So what, was, what was the plywood on that? It was just decorative beadboard look plywood. Oh, it had like a V grooving. Yeah, something. it had like V grooving through it, and. Um, it was basically a compromise. It was, yeah. look, I can do solid, but it's kind of do this or I can do this. It will look fine. You won't see it behind all the books anyway. And I then when, they, really cool. when I thought, I quite liked it. Yeah. What was I mean, the other side, though? Because where you put it, it was just in the middle of the room. Yeah. So is um, it going to stay as a divider? It stays as a divider. And then on the back side, and this is also a reason for going ply. They're doing a, a mirror, uh, not a mirror, a photo frame mural. Oh, okay. So, like, you know, heaps and heaps of different size frames right. pegged on the back. Oh, I didn't mind. Yeah. yeah, so, like, right now it looks a little bit, well, when I delivered it, it looked a little bit, yeah. But I'm sure once I've finished covering it up, it will look pretty good. I liked your idea of arising the back edge of the ply. Um, yeah. Especially if it's going against a wall. Because that yeah. can, can be, uh, I mean, otherwise you've got to put rebates on 
your end panels and then it, they've got to be slightly bigger than everything else and it's just a bit annoying. What did, yeah. you, what did you call it, Joey? What did, what did Jordan do? Uh, an Aris or what, no, what do you call it? Harris? Harris. Yeah, putting a chamfer on it. That'll yeah. do. Yeah. I've never heard an, that. An, an Aris is usually, I, in my experience, an Aris technically Aris. would be a lot smaller, up to about three or four mil, mm. um, I guess, just slightly Forty-five, if that makes any sense. Just yes. knocking off the corner. Yeah. <laughs> I love our, our technical scientific terms about how yeah. heavy it was and our degrees. <laughs> yeah. Uh, only the best. The the no. color that you that it ended up turning out after the oil looked very golden pine. Um was it in the in the not, it wasn't blue. Not in flash, not in the flash. It was more like pinkish than anything. Right, there's a lot of pink through it. Um, that was my only concern about it. Was I looked at it and I was like, "Wow, this thing's straight out of the '90s." With that, yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> it I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've closed the, the grain. Yeah, with but, the grain and everything, it wouldn't. But yeah, my camera's doing some weird things with color temperature changes, and I'm trying to correct it in my editing. But then the next clip is perfect. Right. So it's not like I can do just a, a batch apply of filter. It's yeah. Mm. So I've just left it basically. But it looks pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the other thing as well, those where the two pieces met, I saw yeah. you putting in screws. Were the screws going into the walls of the above piece, or was it just in, it looked like it was just going into the bottom panel? Just into the bottom panel. I mean, it's not really doing much other than stopping it from being knocked sideways. If someone really wanted to push that thing over, there's nothing stopping them, but hmm. it's, I, I don't think it'll be an issue. Right. I mean, I didn't really think about that, but <laughs> now that now that you bring it up, I don't think it'll be an issue. I just I, I would have assumed that you would have gone up through the um, through the walls of the next piece, so you could get like a nice. I yeah, know, because the walls, walls go in a in a straight line, I would have to do it at like a toenail angle. Ah, oh, yes, that's right. Really yeah. hard to it would be really hard to capture through yeah, the base right. and then that's get it right. into the wall and then not have the screw head. Sticking out. How many times have you done that and had the screw come out all right the on the corner? Yeah. And you see it from the inside? Like, like oh my God. Um, well, I more times that. than I care to admit. I hate that. <laughs> I don't really learn. No. Um, yeah. That's no. why, whenever possible, I try not to have to stack things in line. Yeah. Like the design, I'm like, oh, why don't we make the shelves an uneven spacing just so they look good? But really, I just don't want to have to deal with things being in the same <laughs> yeah. place. Alignment's a bitch. Let's yeah. be honest. But yeah, that was pretty fun. It was a good well, deal. Was, Took a that while. Was something, that was something my um my old neighbor in Adelaide, the builder, used to say to me: if you if you can't be a hundred percent sure that you're going to line something up, make sure that you drastically offset or yeah, yeah. it'll drastically change the color because there's nothing worse than something that's almost there, almost it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. What else, Jordan um, said it. Uh, oh, I also picked up another tool, um, <laughs> another freebie. It was a it's another like two No, no, it was just a, a old Camelback style drill press. A um, what? You know the Camelback style drill press where it's that cast iron shape and it's got the quill that goes through the oh, yeah. and all that. Yes, yeah, that's one of them. It was oh. it was uh, fifty bucks, and I thought, you know what, I'll get it. <laughs> just put it on the wall. Yeah, I don't know. It's sitting in the corner for now. Probably will never get touched, but it was 50 bucks. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. But no, what? that's it. 
What's going on with the, the um, what is it, the blue? I'm just going to call it the blue lathe because I don't know that there's a, a name that you gave it. Um, what's going on with it? Is it um, to being operational or are you still making the parts for it? It's still operational. I'm still, I'm kind of hesitant to put too much into it now that I've got a good small, which is still mm -hmm. a big lathe, but small in comparison um, to it, like, there's no point in me fixing it up. It's just a love project if I do it. And then once it is fixed up, am I ever going to use it? <laughs> so kind of my thinking right now is if I do hold on to it, it's going to sit there for a few years before I do any work. So I'll put the giant faceplate on it, remove the jaws, and then affix some um, sandpaper. And then oh, I have a 4.3 no. with, <laughs> with very accurate slow feed speeds. <laughs> That could be handy for one yeah. or two jobs. If I, <laughs> if I start making chairs, it could be good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just going to sit there for a while. I might might scrap you it. You know what you could do with it, Jordan? You could put like a, a router bit in the in the chuck yeah. and change the dolly system so you could have a like a multi-router yeah. set up. I could, yeah, actually, it's big enough that I could mount a round spindled router, you know, the ones with the round base, in the yeah. chuck. <laughs> so, that, so I don't even need to worry about putting the router bit on. It doesn't even need yeah. to turn on then. And then I no. just have to... And you, could just, and you could make up like a plywood base on that dolly system and you could, you could do some like um, mortising on it. Yeah, that could become a little mill, a little yeah. milling machine. But, I bet, I bet you could do that. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. That's an idea. Next week, Jordan loses other finger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, with the size of that thing, yeah. On, on that happy note, what about you, Rob? So I've uh, just been continuing with the bathroom. The it's all the vanity. Yeah, mm -hmm. the vanity's been going, which has been pretty cool uh, working on that. Um, it's made of mobile. And I don't know if I've mentioned this to you guys. The, the window trim that I used in that bathroom is all mobile. And my logic behind it was that's a real solid, um, pretty water-resistant timber because they use it for decking, obviously. And I had a few people say to me, don't just, just be careful because of the tenons. Yeah. You know, mobile can leak quite a bit. You've essentially got this in a, in a wet room. And I thought to myself, you know what? It's, it'll be fine. I just, I just, I just prime this. Just make sure everything's primed, and it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. All of the frames now. Well, no, I say all of them. Only two sides of them. You just every now and then you just get this red trickle. Yeah. Comes down. I thought I'd sealed them, but obviously I haven't. What a nightmare this is! It's just turned into this. And the problem is, there's just white grout everywhere. And it's just soaking up all this. Oh, yeah. oh, well, just... I might have the answer for you a bit later into the subject. Right. Okay. What? Just don't use mobile. Next time. Oh, well, maybe. Um, maybe. There is a treatment that you can. I don't know what it's called, but there is a treatment for tannin stains where you just like kind of scrub it on and it lifts it. It's not actually a solution to your problem. It's just more <laughs> money to spend. But... Well, what I'm going to do is just slowly try and patch the areas, and then either clean the grout or redo the grout because i know you get these like colored grout pens that you can use mm. and that'll be fine it's just got to just the top layer has just got to be sorted out mm. um, and i'll give that a go but yeah what i should have done 
he's gone to Bunnings and got that. You get this. I've, I didn't know that they had it here, but you get in this, the States, you get, um, is it PVC mm-hmm. uh, trim? Yeah. Yep. You can buy that here. I didn't know that you could. I didn't think that we right. had it locally. So that would have just been the best thing because then it's waterproof and it's not full of tannins. But anyway, I just thought I'd mention that because to all the people who have said, be careful of the tannins, you were totally right. I was totally wrong. I should not have used that uh, total disaster. But anyway, the, the reason I mentioned that is I've started work on the, the vanity and I had it upstairs just before the podcast, got the jigsaw out, cut out the, the hole for the sink and there's just dust. <laughs> and I went through it and I was like, Jamie, you cannot shower until I quite <laughs> this, this bathroom because one drop and this is going to be a mess in here. So, okay, so the, the vanity is going, uh, the vanity is in place. The vanity top is basically done. Uh, I started painting the doors today. It's literally painting and then I'm done. So nice. the, the end is in sight. Uh, I'd like to say a couple of weeks just because I'm back at work now after paternity leave. So probably a couple of weeks and then I can finally get on to something else. All that's, right. That's pretty much me. All right. So what we're going to talk about today um, – oh, sorry, Joey, you said you wanted to add something in? Or no, no. Wait, wait. I will get into it. Later. Okay. Yep. Um, so what we're going to do today is carry on from last week when we were talking about finishes and finishing in general. We – I uh, got started last week and it just got we deep dived and we only touched the surface. So we're going to continue with it this week. So quick recap last week, we were talking about what varnish. Mainly, mainly what varnish was, yeah. Varnish mm. is made of and how the term varnish is potentially a misnomer. Mm. There is no such thing. Um, one thing I we talked about last week was linseed oil. Yep. And is the I'm holding in my hand a bottle of the raw linseed oil. So this is the very yeah. noisy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm to, anyway, I was gonna try and smell that. This is uh. the this is the raw hundred percent stuff. And it's basically, yeah, use it outside, it's good for gazebos. I've got I bought this because I thought I'm I'd open it up and try and give it a sniff because I know we talked that said that it had a really strong odor, but I might need to mute my mic and try this <laughs> out. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, um, where do we want to start from? What do you think? Do we want to hit shellac a little bit? Yeah, let's let's do that. Um, let's start with the the misconception that shellac is made from the husks. Well, yeah, well, the, I was always told. My dad said that shellac was made from the the back or the beetle body of the 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 beet the lac beetle, and I think all three of us kind of thought that. Last mm. week, when we had a wee chat about it, uh, I did some research. Um, turns out that the the lac bug or the female lac bug secretes a resin on the bark of a particular or a particular species of trees, mainly in India and Thailand. Um, so, and like hundreds of thousands of these bugs will swarm over any given tree and leave behind this secretion as as they dig their way through the um through the bark and so what what people do is come and scrape off the bark and and the secretion gather it up into like sock like rags um, then heat that bundle up and the resin drips out onto a tray it dries 
they break up the resin into little flakes and that's what we buy as as the shellac base um, and then that's obviously dissolved I say obviously it is then dissolved into into like an ethyl alcohol mix mm. of and varying there's varying recipes of how yeah. you go about doing that and that um, secretion is called lac right is that the same uh, or no? Yeah, well, it's the lac beetle, and so that's right. it, it, yeah. I guess I'm not sure where the shell part comes from, but um, yeah, mm. Mm. I'm actually not sure about that. I guess they do call it lac. I don't know. Okay. So, yeah. yep. That resin, that yep. resin's got a. I, I don't have a lot of experience with shellac. I've only ever used it once. I've never actually seen the flakes. That. That's it's like dead skin. Now that's got a real amber color. It can it? do. There's there's oh, a bunch okay. of ways they color it. So I I was gonna read into that and I thought well, that's kind of irrelevant. I suppose if you really want to know what the how the coloring works, you can probably research that. Something I thought that might be relevant is that if you're looking into it, you will probably see that they sell waxed or there's de-waxed shellac. Yeah, which mm. you're like, why did they put wax in it in the first place? Well, it turns out that the bugs naturally secrete about four percent wax as they're secreting the resin. So if you're going to use the shellac as an undercoat for a particular thing, the top coat may not like the wax amounts right. in that. Um, you know, might not be able to finish over a waxy surface. In which case, you want the de-waxed version for using it as an undercoat or primer. Yeah, because it's a good binding agent, isn't it? You can actually yeah. use it to go between two incompatible finishes. Apparently, but you yes. can't use yep. wax shellac for that. It has to be de-waxed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, it's very um, super. Um, what's the word? Um, versatile. Um, just a couple of things I didn't actually know that before vinyl was invented, records were made of shellac. Like, it's, it's like, yeah, like it was everything. Everything seems to have had shellac in it at some point, um, which brings us to, I suppose, in the same world as French polishing, which has this mysterious uh, kind of vibe about it. I think really, it's just lots of coats of shellac rubbed on in varying specific ways. Again, there's lots of different ways of how it should be done according to ye olde people. Mm. Um, but essentially, it's just lots of layers of, of shellac. Uh, the downside is, I mean, it looks awesome. It, it builds up a, a lot of depth and you get a lot, lovely glow from it. But it's very soft compared compared to anything with the um, resin and oil mix. Um, but also water and alcohol will leave stains on. Yeah. Ah, I have, I have something contradictory to that. And this is okay. what I support with when... I did my first shellacking. <laughs> um, you talked about what you mix it in with, and a lot of people, um, you know, in the back of their sheds will grab a, a tin of metho and put the shellac in there. But the problem with that is that should be ethanol, not metho. Right. Because yeah. metho has a lot of water in it. It's not what you want to do is you want to get it as close to pure ethanol alcohol yeah. as possible. Because if you have water in it, then water can reactivate it, which is where the water stains come on, come from. So the, the less water you can have in the mix, 
the less damage water should do to it. But that's why you would never shellac a bar top because mm. it's the single a little drop of alcohol and it's just your finished yeah. product. But funnily but, enough, if people always did dining tables and things, of course, someone's going to have a right. sherry or something at Christmas time, and and then the next you got day a little stain, got, yeah, get a stain. But so um, I don't, I don't know, I don't have experience with it, but that's what I was told. It would be really interesting to see if, um, yeah, if a if a, a cup with you know with the water, the condensation ring actually does damage mm. it. Yeah. Is there a big difference between the the types of ethanols? I've finished a few fruit bowls with shellac before. And I've even noticed that some of the like, you know, the oils from oranges and all that leave stains in it. Oh, like yeah, it it right. softens it underneath. So. I guess it's an acid. Could be an acid thing leaching out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something I thought was interesting that, well, I guess it it makes sense. Once you've mixed your shellac, it has a shelf life, yeah. um, and it, it varies as well depending on the mix, as far as I can tell. But um, if a quick test seems to be that you just put a little drop on a piece of glass and if it evaporates quickly and dries, that's good. If it stays tacky, it's gone. And mm. so don't, don't go putting it on your piece of furniture, which is probably a good little tip. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you were talking about French polishing and the, the enigma that it is. Yeah. I thought French polishing was just shellac and then wax. Uh, there's a certain way that it's applied though like you have to it, it's all about really quick flash off with mm. it so you it's a very highly diluted shellac and it's also generally like a rubbing alcohol not an ethanol that they use to dilute it mm. and then they also mix pumice into it into the pad yeah the pumice dust mixes with the shellac as you're rubbing it in and it becomes a grain filler and because something like yeah. because the the pumice is technically a glass and and, and a dust form, the alcohol uh, it cross bonds with the um, the resin and the shellac, oh, and it melds into one thing and becomes a molecular film, and that creates a really good grain filling, um, you know, clear, transparent, or takes on the color of the shellac, um, and. Hmm. So that's another part to it as well. You're actually abrasing it as you're buffing it in with, mm. with the, the pumice powder. So there's, there's a, just a lot of small technicals to it if, if you really want to get into it. Um, there's an entire trade built on it. So. What was that, John? What was oh, I was just saying that there's an entire trade built on it. Like yeah. you, you'll meet a lot of tradies that come up to you and they'll they'll go, oh, yeah, I'm a French polisher by trade. I'm like, yeah. Really? <laughs> I cut big bits of wood into little bits of wood. So, <laughs> yeah. <that's> cool. <laughs> um, can, can you get quite a high gloss f uh, with shellac, uh, French polishing? Yeah. It's, it's naturally point, shellac yeah. is glossy. Ah, oh, is it? Okay. If right. you want to have it not so glossy, really the only way is to to buff it back with a um, like a refined grit. Okay, that so that tea box that I did not too long ago that was shellac. Yeah. Uh, so it was one coat of shellac, and then buffed with or you know polished with some paraffin wax. Oh, okay, yeah. And that was a a real satin. Yeah, because only one coat of, of shellac is really hardly even a sanding sealer. I would have thought one coat. Mm. Because it's ninety percent thinner. Yeah, um, 
because so in the same vein there's a company called Zinza who I will talk about a bit more but you can Zinza is stocked in Bunnings and most paint places to be honest um, they do shellac and the can ready to go in amber and in clear and de-waxed versions oh. by, by the liter. It has a year shelf life. So usually they will have a date of manufacture on there so you can get an idea of how much time you've got left with it. Um, and I haven't used it, but I've definitely seen it here on the shelf. Um, so, yeah, that is – and I guess I'll, I'll get into this now, Robin, with your timber bleaching out tannins. Mm. That same company, Zinza, make two primers, which would two different primers, which would really um, help you out. The one that would probably help most is in their red can. It's called BIN Shellac Primer. It's white, dead white shellac stuff. It dries in three seconds. <laughs> your your oh, paintbrush, wow. your paintbrush is dead after you use it. So like it's a one-time use thing. Um, your best brush you got. Yeah. But that stuff will stick to anything. It is literally a silver bullet. If you need paint to stick to tiles or something weird, you want to paint glass. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to paint glass with it, you put this primer on, like you just, it will stick to anything. Um, Smelly as all heck, but it does the trick and it will stop. The good thing with shellac is that it will stop tannins. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because having used a a water-based, you know, acrylic I, I i don't think this is this this could be an ongoing problem because that yeah i guess it would be to scrape it back a bit and put this stuff on and then recoat it um mm. the other version they have a blue can called bullseye water it's a water-based primer and it's not as good but it's way more user-friendly but it's still the best water-based primer i've ever used and that's what i put on all my projects so um, that wouldn't have shellac in it? No, it's a water-based primer. So I would go for the shellac okay, one right. in your case because you've got definite bleeding of the tannins. So, yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that's my, my go-to for priming for painting as well um, mm. is, is the Zinza brand because it's American stuff. You buy it in quartz or some weird stuff, but um, it's bloody good stuff. Mm, I've never seen that. Hmm. So, an uh, interesting fact while we're still on the lacquer, uh, sorry, the shellac um, topic uh, yeah. is that lacquer is also got a fair bit of shellac in it. Well, it's got lac, which is the same active right. kind of ingredient, but it's, ma- it's mixed with nitrocellulose, which is flash paper or flash cotton, you know, the stuff that they use in special effects, which was something cool to me because I've I've worked a lot with that in the past and I had no idea that it was the same thing. Um, And certain solvents and plasticizers, like, you know, plastic resins and stuff. Um, But that's what gives lacquer such a hard-wearing kind of finish is that it's got this nitrocellulose, which is high temperature, you know, it's burning thing is 160 degrees Celsius. So right. hotter than most things you could put on it. Um, and then those plastic resins on top of the natural shellac huh. is basically the same thing. It's just clearer and more refined with chemicals. Wow. Um, so that's a fun fact. <laughs> so you had some homework, George. Did you happen to do that about the, about, 
if, if there's a difference between pre-catalyzed and catalyzed lacquers? Yeah, I did a little bit. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. Like <laughs> yeah. this is a full chemical makeup, and I am not a chemist, so right. it was mostly over my head. But basically, the differences are with a pre-catalyzed versus post-cat lacquer, as long as it's a nitro lacquer, nitrocellulose, which is 95% of wood lacquers. The main finish uh, difference in it is hardness. So a catalyst is just something to finish off the chemical reaction which is taking right. place. Uh, so generally speaking, a pre-cat, which is pre-mixed and it's straight out of the can, won't harden quite as much as a post-cat lacquer. So you, often your finishes can't get quite as glossy if you want a higher gloss. Your pot life is generally a little bit longer as well with a pre-cat. So you can actually right. leave your spray gun set up for upwards of two to three weeks without having to clean it out. Um, wow. Whereas if yeah, you're I using... I thought those things sort of it dried instantly and you had to clean everything off immediately. Yeah, well, it's a, because it's an airtight thing, it's, it's, it's all about the... Um, what's it called? The solvent flashing off and that, that's all mm. it is. So as long as it's airtight, so you've got a pressure canister, not a gravity feed gun, you can leave oh, it in there for a few weeks. You're not talking about like the needle and stuff. That's still got to be cleaned. No, you can leave no, it. The, you just leave the everything. Whole, whole lot in there. Everything. It's, just, the it's just like being in the can of, yeah. you know, the can of lacquer. It might as well just be in the gun. So I, I only clean my gun, which apparently I'm doing it too irregularly. I do it every fortnight, but because okay. I used it, because I use post-cat, so I have to put the catalyst in, uh, your pot life is generally only upwards toward a week. Um, I imagine, sorry, uh, I imagine um, if you use a post-cat, it's going to dry faster and give you a faster stacking time of your pieces. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's basically the gist of it. And it's also going to dry harder. Yeah, right. Because um, a cat... It's more user friendly. So it's more user friendly for commercial guys who are just pumping out stack loads of shelving or doors or something. Exactly, but it's also worse because if you breathe it in, which I mean, anything that you're spraying is bad for your lungs. But if you yeah. breathe it in, it will literally harden in your lungs. So oh. once, oh, once you've breathed it in, it's in there. It's dry. Oh, it's not going to go anywhere, and that's, that's why awful. it's got so many regulations around oh. it. And, and that that goes for pre-cat as well it's just you've got more chance to breathe it out before it sets because it dries slightly slower i never oh, thought I about it. i can i can see this in like the next saw movie <laughs> you make it breathe it in and their lungs just instantly solidify and oh expanding foam uh, it's nasty stuff and the more i read about it the more afraid i got of what it can do but the the only saving grace is that I don't know what NO two CH three da 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 da, da <laughs> is, so it doesn't scare me. <laughs> um, we last week something that uh, I looked into last week I, I showed you guys my bottle of water based terps. Yeah, yeah, right. And I s said how rubbish it was, and I couldn't work out how this worked. You know how they made this. Turns out that I was completely wrong about it. That's called water-based terps, T-U-R-P-S. Yeah. There is no turpentine in there. No, no, it's that's the, um, the petroleum version, is it? I just assumed that, and, and this is clever marketing to these people, you've got turpentine, 
which yeah. comes in your orange tint mineral turpentine from Bunnings. I thought this was the same thing, but water-based. Okay, no. But because they've called it terps. So it's can, a marketing ploy. They can, call, they can be whatever they want in there. There's no turpentine. It's no, just yeah. terps. Well, that's what everything here in New Zealand is terps. I actually had a look last time I was in the shop and I couldn't find turpentine. Everything is either terps or even called turpentine, but it's not turpentine. It's the um, the petrol, you know, the um, the oil base. Oh, well, this is not even that. This is just, it's basically soap, some kind of soap and water. <laughs> but they've called okay. it terps because it cleans oil-based brushes or, you know. Oh, does it? So it, you shouldn't use it for thinning. It's you just and they say you cannot use it for thinning. And I remember looking at it going, oh, that's interesting. You would think that it's if it's turpentine, of course you could use it for thinning, but you can't because all it hmm. is is some kind of soap to clean oil-based oh, paint with a brush. That's on the verge of false advertising, surely. It's called yeah. turp, so you just assume that it, that's it, yeah. But, I mean, turpentine or spirit of gum as well yeah. is the other name, is the only thing that is turpentine. yeah. Terps isn't actually turpentine. No, it's it's a or turpentine. It's the what petrochemical equivalent. It's what what do Americans call it? They call it um, uh, mineral thinners or something. Yeah, mineral Yeah, some of the current names for it are still is is ether, mm. which I thought that was more like morphine, but apparently not. Well, I'll have some. See if it works. I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> Last time it was pretty enjoyable. Oh, man. <laughs> um, okay, so we've only got time for a, a, a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. Um, what I, something. What I, well, one thing that I wanted to touch on, and this was something that I've been doing this, uh, uh, working on this week, so I thought it'd be relevant. Um, and maybe this is a good question as well that you guys can help answer. Between uh, different coats, we obviously, we sand in between, not necessarily every single coat, but you, you know, you, you sand between coats towards the end. Mm -hmm. Is there a, should you be using, should you be doing that by hand or can you be using an orbital sander or is that orbital sander way too aggressive? Basically, I've, I'm working on that vanity. I put a few coats of finish on and now I've got a 600 pad for my orbital sander. Do I use the orbital sander or do I do it by hand to go with the grain or is it, is it much of a muchness at this stage? Orbital. Well, there's two ways of looking at it though. <laughs> like look at car shops who respray high million dollar cars. They all use orbital sanders on it and then like that comes out fine, but they've also got a pigment that fills those scratch marks. Um, I do an orbital, but always on the last coat, I hand sand with the grain just so if any scratches do come through, you don't see it. But I also use a finish that melts into itself. If you're using a film finish like polyurethane, that won't melt into the previous layer. So if you do get any little swirly marks like pigtails, which will happen if it gums up, you will see it. So, not, not from 400 grit or less. I've had it. I've had it with 600 grit. You've seen the swirls. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, you have to be looking really close, but it does affect clarity. So, I suppose it could. I, I have no issue in saying use the random orbit as long as you, like, inspect it very closely. I haven't got an issue saying go, go for it. It's just there is technicality to it where a lot of these traditionalists would say it's blasphemy. Yeah, I guess thinking about my process... 
I think what I, I would usually build up a few layers until I know that I'm going to be sanding the film and not the timber anymore. Mm. I would hit it with four or 600 of the orbital. So, so you can see the highs and lows, you know, like mm. ideally you just want to be seeing a flat amount of mm. the film. And then I would build probably another late coat or two of finish. And from there, it's feeling pretty bloody smooth. And actually, like you said, George, what I think I usually do is um, just run over very lightly by hand, just knocking off any any kind of nubs and you know dust nubs and stuff that mm -hmm. feel rough because most of it is dead smooth anyway mm -hmm. from from the orbital sanding. So you're probably right. I think I probably do do the final sand by hand, mm. just just out of. And the the other thing that. I have done when I was using polyurethane is use like a is it four o the finest steel wool? Okay, um, yeah. I think it's four o. Yeah. And I'd, I'd actually apply it using the steel wool and then rub yeah, it off entirely. So I just have no luck with that. It was hard to do with big pieces. So if it was like a dining table, it was really hard because it would dry before I had the chance to wipe it off. But if it was something small like a, a entry table or something, it, I got really good results. Um, but then I moved away from polyurethane altogether and decided to just all use my, something else. All my experience with the with the steel wool just gave. I mean, it was like I was sanding it with one eighty grit, and I'm like, <laughs> "What is going on? This is just scratching this thing up like you wouldn't believe." I did notice a few times, like the steel wool turned into something really, really rough. So it like was dissolving almost. Yeah, and like, I can. Yeah, so, so like I, I did notice that a few times, but generally on the smaller pieces where it was quick, right. I had really good results. Huh. Okay, there's something else to that, but who cares? <laughs> All right, I think we've got time for one question. So, Rob Pittaway asked this earlier Do you guys worry that product will be difficult, as in that manufacturing is such a big market? So, I think what he's saying is we are. Well, I know I am a fine furniture maker, but we are fine furniture makers. Um, how do we stand out in a world of IKEA? Uh, yep. Uh, Rob, I'll start by answering that with, uh, I asked the same question to someone in my local area who's a furniture maker. And he's he f is finding at the moment that the demand for his furniture is actually increasing because people are starting to appreciate the, and I'm not, I'm not saying they didn't in the past, but he just, he was saying quite recently, it seems like there's a trend that people are now really starting to appreciate the um, handmade one-off pieces over your mass produced stuff. And obviously mm. it's going to come and those trends are going to come and go. But I think, I think there will always be a market for someone who wants something that you cannot reproduce. You know, that's what's going to, allow us to stand out and i think the other like factor with it is people are steadily moving away from the terrible culture that is everywhere and that's the throwaway culture like ikea mm. is oh we're moving into a flat let's stock up the entire apartment and then when we move we'll just throw it out in the curb because it's cheap it's crap and it doesn't last very long mm. um and i think people are especially with like keep cups and all that sort of stuff taking off now in australia especially like they're, they're starting to be more mindful of this throwaway culture and we're trying to not taking all of our waste now 
<laughs> Australia has to be more mindful about what it does with its waste, and hopefully that means heirloom quality furniture will stay a real thing. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking with Rob. I'm thinking with Rob there, and that I guess I see it as not so much me having to stand out, but my clients wanting what they want, and then I'm the guy they find who can make it. Um, mm. That's that's how my business model has always worked. You know, people come to me because they can't find what they want. Mm. Mm. Saying that, like I said at the start of the show, my workload has just dramatically dropped off this year, and I'm I'm finding it difficult to find enough work to keep me busy. So, whether or not that is you know, just a local issue with for me and all my clients, all my local people are used up their money. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But, <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a similar problem over here. It's not just me as well. It's all of everyone in my surrounding area that I speak to. All these small business owners, they're they're struggling a little bit with workload. But I do just see Rob commented, maybe not IKEA, but our products. So Joey's chairs and my surfboards, and versing bigger retailers. So I think it is like if we're competing with big retailers, it's impossible. But that's why we have to make a product that the big retailers don't have. Yeah. Mm. So, like, or yeah, my surfboard. can't make. Yeah, exactly. It's just not practical. Like, you're not going to go into a surf shop and find a wooden surfboard kit to build yourself. I mean, they might, but it's unheard of right now. Mm. Maybe once I start putting YouTube videos out there, people catch on to the idea and I'll destroy my own market. But that's right cool. now, it's just not there. So... <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just that thing of adapting and trying to follow the market and giving yeah. quality that can't be bought just yet. The whole the whole bespoke quote unquote movement um, to me can, can really can only work when the client seeks out a maker because people like us don't have TV ads or radio ads almost any of the time, mm-hmm. and generally it's we're just waiting for people to find us. Um, mm. And that seems like a bad marketing move. Strategy. But, yeah, strategy. But you can just sink money into marketing endeavors and just never see a return from it because that's not where your your target audience is. Yeah. And good Good luck actually trying to find where your target audience is. So. <laughs> yeah, I've I've thrown away a fair bit of money on not mm, no result advertising. Well, not heaps, like maybe three, four hundred bucks in the last few months, and it hasn't returned anything. So everything is still word of word of mouth, or people physically looking for furniture maker, custom furniture, and finding my website. But I guess that's because you know the word of mouth thing is because that's people trust in you. Going back to what you said, Joey, they they are finding you, so to speak. It's not in your face marketing. So when someone says, "I got something made by so and so," that level of trust is there and that that's mm-hmm. what gets them over the line, not necessarily yep. the, the banner ad over the motorway. Yeah, mm. exactly. Cool. Yep. Okay. Well, um, Nick, I know you had a question as well. Uh, we don't have time for it today, unfortunately, but I'll put it on the list for next week. Um, it's one for you, Joey. Um, all right. Well, what have we been watching, Joey? Uh, Northman is the name of the channel. The video is called Birth of a Weapon. A, I believe it's an English bow or English longbow. Longbow, yeah. Um, I, I love bows and arrows. Made them since oh, I was right. a kid. 
I've had a bunch of them. I haven't actually had one for probably, I haven't had a good one for quite a few years just because I really had nowhere to shoot one. Um, and at the moment we've got a cool paddock next to us and eventually I'd like to make one with my boy and we can shoot bows and arrows in, in the paddock. Um, this is an awesome video. I mean, I'll never do this cause I just, it's way above me, I think skill level wise, but, um, just this guy's a master and the, and the video is so nice. I think I just enjoyed the video almost more than what he made, but, um, really, really nicely shot. Talking about bows and arrows. I watched this random video the other day, just out of the blue about why archers, uh, is traditionally, uh, Olympic archers. Once they release the arrow, the, the bow drops. Yeah. And how you're not actually supposed to hold the, the bow. I'm probably getting all the words wrong, the right. terminology wrong. You're supposed to just, you know, it's it rests in your Support hand. It. Right. Yeah. And once the arrow's gone, you, there's nothing, so it should fall. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I, don't, I don't know how I ended up in that corner <laughs> of YouTube. <laughs> it's a yeah. dark corner. Just a whole 15 minutes dedicated to that, which was <laughs> quite interesting. <laughs> so, um, John, do, do you have anything? I haven't got anything new. I've just been watching the same two channels I suggested the last two weeks. So. Yeah, I was just watching French guy makes uh, yeah. some ramen noodles. Yeah, the, the ramen addiction is what I was just finishing off when the oh, call right. came through to do this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this week I wanted to point out Matt Cremona's um, outfeed table. Oh uh, yeah. He hasn't like he hasn't done a video on it yet. The video that I'm talking about is the the his uh, vlog series where he talks about it. Uh, but I just want to point out, because I just thought it was quite an interesting uh, project for us to have, well, to see people in the community with shop furniture that looks better than most of our, <laughs> most of our dining room furniture. Yeah. Pretty, I see he cool. was off uh, on Instagram. He'd had it at a, a, shoot, um, a photo shoot for the Fine Woodworking Magazine or something. Yeah, yeah that's what he was saying. Oh, he was wow. going to be doing that, yeah. 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 <laughs> I see I see. Cuffy saw the the the... Um, archery video that I was talking about too. That guy must have put some money into advertising. Yeah, well, all right, cool. Okay, well, everyone, thanks very much for for tuning in. Um, I think we're going to be doing finishing next week again. I'm not sure. We could be. Do we have? We could go on to paint, I suppose. Yeah, yeah we could go paint, let's, let's oils, other soft things. Let's lock it in. Okay. So yeah, we'll be talking about that next that next week. Uh, thanks to everyone in the chat. Um, and thank you to the to everyone who dropped off questions. Uh, Nick, as I say, yeah, we'll get to that next week. And that's about it for the show. So we'll see you guys again next Thursday, same time. Catch gotcha. up. Yeah.